Welcome to this session uh, on the Yoga Sutra of Maharishi Patanjali. To just give a brief uh, introduction, uh, I, I, some of you have already met on different uh, other programs. My name is uh, Spriti and my husband Adi Narayanan and I started Anadi Foundation in 2015. And now uh, our ashram is located near Payani in Tamil Nadu. So at the ashram, we have a dhyanalayam dedicated to meditation. We have a goshala and we also have a gurukulam, dharma gurukulam, where children above the age of 10 years are studying Indian knowledge systems. And we also do free Ayurveda camps for the local population. And we also offer STEM education programs for the rural children there. So overall, the effort has been to inspire people and also create uh, avenues for people to uh, find diverse expressions of fulfillment. Whatever is fulfilling them, we offer a platform for that. And uh, you know, a lot of young people stay at our ashram, they volunteer. And uh, the idea of these sessions is to be able to get a deeper insight into yoga through the Yoga Sutra of Maharishi Patanjali. So the Yoga Sutra, we have 196 sutras and the approach that we would be taking in these sessions is to delve deeper into each sutra as much as possible and so that and have discussions or share insights on them. Also integrate it with simple practices uh, which one can do, you know, wherever one is uh, seated so that uh, the reflections that we have during these sessions are better assimilated through these practices. And wherever possible, we'll bring in insights from psychology, cognition and neuroscience so that a holistic perspective, which is suited to modern understanding is also provided. The session will be primarily delivered in English and wherever needed, the original Sanskritam verses will be used. And there will also be effort in understanding those uh, verses. So we would be using the translations of uh, the, um, you know, there is a Vyasa's Bhashya of the Yoga Sutra. So the Vyasa Bhashya will be used and some insights from Vachaspati Mishra's work of the translation of the Vyasa Bhashya and also uh, Vijnana Bhikshuji's uh, insights will be utilized. Wherever relevant. That is the approach that we would be taking. So let us begin this session with an invocation dedicated to Maharshi Patanjali. Yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavaithyakena yopakarotamam pravaram muninam Patanjalim Pranjali Ranatosmi Om Shri Guru Namaha Hari Om Our salutations to Maharishi Patanjali who has provided us with this very deep and wonderful uh, work of the Yoga Sutra. So in today's session, we'll also be looking at the place of yoga in the Shaddarshana before we delve into the Yoga Sutras. And uh, at different points in time, we will also get an opportunity to chant the Sutra so that one gets the pronunciation and one is also able to re retain the chants in memory. 
So before the next session, whatever one or two sutras or three sutras that we look at in these sessions, if you are able to learn it by rote, within a short while, you will be able to learn all the sutras. Or at least one of the padas, you will be able to learn it by memory. So yogena chittasya padena vacham malam sharirasya chavaithya kena yopakarotamam pravaram munina Patanjali Pranjali Rana Tosmi. That is the invocation that we just looked at. So we pray our obeisance and we salutations to Maharishi Patanjali, who gave the science of yoga for the purification of the chitta and who gave us grammar for the purification of our walk. Whatever we speak, that should be purified. So he also has given us the system of grammar. Patanjali Maharishi is also a grammarian. So that way, lot of insights on cognition, linguistics, and you know the psychological processes emerge through the discussion on the Yoga Sutra. And he also has given the system of medicine to remove the impurities of the body. And I fold my hands and then pray to such a Maharishi, such a great Maharishi Patanjali. So when we look at these three dimensions, body, mind and speech, these three dimensions of the body, Sharira, Vang and Manas, the mind, speech and the body. So Maharishi Patanjali has given us various systems to remove the impurities at these three levels. So when we look at Ayurveda, when we look at the Dinacharya, which is mentioned in the Sutrasthana of Ashtanga Hridayam, it talks about on a daily basis, focusing on avoiding the Dasha Papa. Dasha Papa are related to the Papa or sins committed through the body through the mind and through the speech. The sins through the body include, you know, you know, committing ahimsa and other things. The sins through the mind is in terms of thinking bad about others, thinking negative about others and other qualities. And of course, the speech is speaking bad about others, hurting others and all that. So the Bhagavad Gita, uh, in this chapter 17 of the Bhagavad Gita, Bhagavan Shri Krishna talks about tapas or austerity at these three levels. So he says that anudvega karam vakyam satyam priyahitam. That is the tapas of the vak. Anudvega karam means not generating any udvega in another person's mind. So generally, when we speak to others, there is so much udvega that is generated. Either we could hurt them. Or we could, you know, fire the uh, fire them up because we put in so much energy into that when we speak, right? It could either be motivating or it could actually create a lot of agitation in them. So that udvega is created because of which a lot of negativity flows in their own minds. So even if you look at modern neuroscience, it talks about uh, what is called negative emotional attractors. Whenever we say something negative to somebody in a very pushy manner, then what happens is that the sympathetic nervous system kicks in. And there is a lot of rapid changes that happen in the body, which also causes some kind of a stress there. 
so what we speak has different kinds of impact on different kinds of people but when we speak in a very calm tone not creating any udvega then it leaves a pleasant impact on the people who are listening so anudvegakaram vakyam satyam truth priya which is you know which is which they like and hita which is of benefit to them so when we speak this then that is called tapas of the speech similarly tapas of the mind is to do with having mauna and having it in restraint having it in control all these are tapas of the mind and the body of course not engaging in any indulgence that is the tapas of the body so these three dimensions become very important even when we take to yogic practices these three dimensions become very important of course speech is a different is a very different dimension but nevertheless the body and mind become very important when we engage in yogic practices and shabda shuddhi or vak shuddhi becomes very important when we develop vak shuddhi over a period of time we attain vak siddhi whatever we say comes to fruition because of the purity of our words you would have seen people who are very straight forward who never speak a lie who have nothing to hide so this such people what happens is that over a period of time because of their vak shuddhi vak is you know the speech because of that shuddhi they attain vak siddhi whatever they speak that actually happens that is why we should not push these people who are in a very pure state to speak something that is negative because that actually might happen like uh, you know in puranas we read about the curse of the rishis because of their purity because of their tapasya whatever they say comes into being and it's difficult for them to retract it also it so happens you know you would have learned about or you would have uh, looked at the story of parikshit maharaja where when he is going on a hunting expedition he is very thirsty and then he sees a rishi there and then he tries to ask for water the rishi does not respond so he just uh, he gets angry and puts a dead snake on the rishi and uh, his son comes and sees this state and then he curses the king and then uh, the rishi then uh, opens his eyes and then says that you know he tells his son why did you have to curse his the king oh, he was only doing his duty and then the son says now that i have cursed it's very difficult to retract it i can reduce the impact of it and then somewhat you know reduction happens but otherwise whatever is spelt out is difficult to take back but whatever is spelt out that also occurs when there is vak siddhi so in this particular verse maharishi patanjali is uh you know revered because he say he gave us the grammar and vocabulary to use the words appropriately such that whatever we speak is with perfection otherwise what we speak will leave a very different impact on people it won't be clear to people what are we trying to speak so in order to be an effective communicator in order to be an effective orator the combinations of the sentences the words that we use have to be effective have to be clear it have to be coherent so that it leaves the right impact on the listener like this happens for teachers you know i've uh, been a teacher in a university for more than a decade and we take a semester long uh, course 
And at the end of the course, when there is an examination, when we read the answer scripts, we wonder, is this really what I spoke in the classroom? Because the answers are so diverse, the understandings are so diverse. Each one understands it their own way. They write it in their own way. So what happens is that then we realize that whatever I spoke has left a different kind of a mental model or, or has created a different kind of a mental model in each student. But if the more mental model has to be more or less accurate, then the purity of speech becomes very important. The usage of the language, the coherence of the speech becomes very important. For that, a perfect grammar also becomes very important. So that way, Patanjali Maharishi has given us this wonderful system of grammar and vocabulary so that there is purity of speech that is there. And purity of chitta is very much needed. It is beautifully stated in our Shastras that the purity of the mind can be achieved through Dhyana. The purity of the speech can be achieved through Japa. The purity of the body can be achieved through Tapas. Taking up austerities could be a Vrata, could be a Padayatra or could be many such practices which basically involve the body. And that at that when we do these practices, the impurities of these dimensions get removed. So Maharishi Patanjali is credited to these aspects that he has given us. So looking at the place of yoga in the Indian tradition, there are darshana shastras or philosophical systems. Many of you who have been part of our various other programs, uh, we usually you know, provide an overview of these systems. But at the cost of repetition, nevertheless, we'll cover this in this session too. So when we say Darshana Shastras, it means it is a particular worldview. How we view the world. So there are two types fundamentally, Astika Darshana and Nastika Darshana. Astika darshana is to do with the darshana shastras that cite the Vedas, that use the Vedas as their pramana, are their primary source, the Vedas are their primary sources of knowledge and citation. The Nastika darshana are the darshana shastras that do not cite the Vedas. They do not consider the Vedas to be the primary source of knowledge. There are also intermediate astika nastika darshanas. So typically, for example, the Charvaka system, which is a nastika darshana, it does not use any of the Vedic insights. So it talks about somewhat similar to the modern sciences, where all the divine aspects are removed. The role of the divine, the role of God, everything is removed. The role of the Vedic knowledge is removed. And only the rational science or so-called rational science is presented. That is the Charvaka system. The Baudha and Jaina system are in a way Nastika, but they are somewhere Astika, Nastika, but they are because there are also very lot of similarities with the Vedic system. When we come to the Shaddarshana, which are Astika in nature, you have six of them. You can pair them like this, Sankhya, Yoga, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, Vedanta and Mimamsa. Samkhya, Yoga, Nyaya, Vaisheshika, 
Vedanta and Mimamsa. Sankhya and Yoga are very much related. So they talk about the various tattvas. They talk about Purusha Prakriti, Ahamkara and uh, the various evolutes that come out of the Prakriti. And they talk about the highest state of liberation as Kaivalya, where the Purusha gets isolated from Prakriti, where the Purusha feels no need for the Prakriti anymore to create those manifestations and is liberated. So that is Sankhya and Yoga. One difference could be that the Yoga, the system of Yoga, acknowledges the presence of Ishvara, who is beyond the Kleshas, and uh, who is uh, who is uh, denoted by the sound of Om, and who is an exalted, uh, you know what you can say, uh, divine presence or consciousness that is Ishvara in the system of yoga. Nyaya and Vaisheshika Darshanas they talk about the various padarthas, and they talk about dravya, guna, karma, and all that. Nyaya is a system of logic and analysis. A lot of our um, you know, scientific uh, things would be, uh, you, know, uh, you know, for example, rational thinking, analyzing something, all is based on the Nyaya philosophy. So, for example, how to classify this reality? You have these various things around you. You have the tree, you have the humans, you have uh, a table, a chair and all that. So what are the categories and classifications that you can apply to understand this reality? That is given by Nyaya and Vaisheshika. Our Ayurvedic system of medicine draws a lot of insights, insights from Nyaya and Vaisheshika. In fact, the first year Ayurvedic students, all of them study what is called Padartha Vijnana, which is basically the science of these Padarthas which combine insights from Nyaya and Vaisheshika. Vaisheshika looks at everything in, in the form of Anus and Paramanus or atoms, very small particles which come together to create this reality. Vedanta, as the name indicates, is the end portion of the Vedas, the Anta of the Vedas, which is nothing but the Upanishads, which highlight that don't just stop with the Karmakanda aspects of the Vedas. The Karmakanda is to do with the rites and rituals on a daily basis or for a specific phala. Lot of procedures are defined in the Vedas, Rig, Yajur, Sama and Atharva Veda. And depending on your family lineage, you might be taking up one of the Vedas. So a lot of rituals are mentioned and a lot of procedures and processes are mentioned in the Karmakanda of the Vedas. But the idea of the Upanishads is that don't be limited to the rites and rituals. Transcend and realize the Atman that is there, which is a unifying principle. Vedanta could be looked at as Advaita Vedanta, Dvaita Vedanta or Vishishta Dvaita, depending on the way you perceive the relationship between the Jivatma and Paramatma. Don't worry if all this is like a lot of you know, terminologies and other things. The primary idea of these sessions is mainly to go into the Yoga Sutra. But this broad you know, understanding of the Shad Darshana will help. 
we will also be creating a google classroom where the materials will be provided to you for you know um, deeper reading and all that so that it's it's easy for you to decode and uh, purva mimamsa is to do with uh, the various rites and rituals which talk about vedas one has to follow the vedas and they have to be taken literally and have to be adhered to that is what mimamsa talks about so these philosophical systems uh, or a combination of them help us to decode this reality and there are various texts uh, of each of these philosophical systems when we take advaita vedanta you have prakarana granthas and uh, what happens is uh, you know each of these uh, philosophical systems have sub philosophical systems some of them like for example vedanta and the acharyas of those philosophical systems would have written treatises on the bhagavad gita upanishads and the brahma sutra from the viewpoint of their philosophical system so that way a huge body of knowledge and literature is created okay yeah that is not enough hey kelthana i bedupai unta sari and i So the Yoga Sutra of Maharishi Patanjali, it has 196 sutras and it is divided into four padas. Samadhi pada, Sadhana pada, Vibhuti pada and Kaivalya pada. The Samadhi pada talks about the goal or the state of Samadhi which is the state of Yoga. What is that state which is achieved? That is called Samadhi pada. the sadhana pada talks about the means to achieve this particular state of samadhi what are the various things that one can do to achieve the state of samadhi the vibhuti pada talks about the various powers that we get when we walk on this path the various siddhis that we attain when we take to this process of sadhana a lot of details are given interesting details are given which we will see at an appropriate time and the kaivalya pada talks about how this process of kaivalya or association or mukti happens it goes into great detail in terms of what is the mental attitude how those structures break down and how the the karma that we carry is eventually dissolved and how do we attain to that safe state of isolation or separate separation which is called kaivalya or mukti in the language i mean yoga yoga calls it kaivalya for us we can understand it as mukti or liberation that is detailed the kaivalya 196 sutras are there a sutra there are different uh, you know aspects to a sutra something that's called a sutra when it is very precise in nature it has to be free from you, uh, you know impurities it has to be free from ambiguities and uh, it should also be free from those uh, you know extra intonations that we use normally while chanting it is called astobam it should be free from those tobas or the extra sounds or you know what you can say syllables that we put normally while chanting because it has to be precise in nature 
and it should also be applicable in various situations it should it should not be a false statement it should be accurate it should be precise it should be generalizable and it should not be ambiguous and it should be free from these uh, you know the additional syllables so that is called a sutra so you would find that the <coughs> yoga sutra are very short uh, sentences easily you can you know sort of learn them by memory and uh, learning it by memory is also useful because at any point in time you want to invoke them in order to reflect the meaning in order to meditate upon them it becomes easy otherwise you always have to carry a book with you and then refer to the pages so that way learning the sutras by memory is a useful thing okay so the first sutra goes like this as i chant you can repeat it twice you can be in mute but you can chant aloud in your own place athayoganushasanam 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 Atha yoga nushasanam. Yes. Anybody else wants to try? Atha yoga nushasanam. Excellent. Atha yoga nushasanam. Atha yoga nushasanam. Shasanam. Shasanam. Atha yoga anushasanam. Atha yoga anushasanam. Yes, perfect. Atha yoga anushasanam. Very good. Thank you. Thank you so much. So, this Atha is often used in many of our Indian texts. So now denotes an undertaking. It's not and undertaking. There's a spelling mistake here. It denotes an undertaking. It means that you have explored various texts. You have, you know, sort of gone to various philosophical systems, explored them. You've gone through various texts. You've experienced different states of the mind, but now you feel that Yoga is the most suitable system or thought process for you. And now you are undertaking the study of yoga. Or you are undertaking the study of this text on yoga. So, Atha Yoga Anushasanam. This happens uh, typically. Like, you know, we try various medicines. We Suppose we have an illness. We try various uh, medicines. We try allopathy. We try homeopathy. We try something else. And finally, we understand that Venkatachalapati is the best medicine. Right? When nothing else works, we surrender at the feet of Venkatachalapati. So similarly, when we have gone through various philosophical systems or our mind is, has been distracted, and then we realize that, okay, all that is fine, but now I feel that I'm ready to undertake this. Now I'm free from those distractions. 
but I look at this as a very important solution or a very important text to take it up, an important effort, then it means that your mind starts focusing on what is being told in the text. A lot more focus, attention, inspiration and uh, inclination is there to take up the study. So, Atha Yoga Anushasanam means a text on yoga, the study of the text on yoga is being undertaken. And it is called Anushasanam because it is a continuation of the teaching. So, Maharishi Patanjali did not invent the field of yoga, did not invent the philosophical system of yoga. It has been practiced across many generations and he is sort of continuing the teaching process. That is what this Atha Yoga Anushasanam means. And the sentence itself indicates a certain continuation where there is a continuous exploration and now this text is being taken up and undertaken, the study is being undertaken, right? So that is what Atha Yoga Anushasanam means. So in the Vyasa Bhashya, a little more elaboration is given for this particular verse. So yoga is the state of samadhi. So in the Vyasa Bhashya, yoga is equated to the state of samadhi. And it pervades all planes of the mind. What are the different planes of the mind? Or what are the different states of the mind? Whenever we say the mind, the mind can be distracted, it can be wandering, it can be a stupid mind, stupid in the sense, does not have a real picture of what is happening, ignorant, or it can be focused, or it can be completely restrained. So, kshipta, mudha, vikshipta, ekagra, and niruddha. These can be five different states of the mind. Kshipta, mudha, vikshipta, ekagra, and niruddha. So it can be wandering out or it can be slightly wandering and coming back, distracted, coming back or it can be one-pointed or it can be completely restrained without any distractions or it can be a certain stupid, ignorant and innocent mind which does not know what is reality. These are some of the states or planes of the mind that have been defined. The first two states, a wandering state and the stupid state are not included as yoga, states of yoga. But then it is also clarified that even vikshipta is not yoga because it comes to a steady state, but then it goes back to a distracted state. Say for example, when you are trying to meditate, there will be a momentary feeling of stillness. But that might last only few seconds or even just a few microseconds. And immediately after that, the mind goes into distraction. So that state cannot be called as the state of yoga. Sorry to dishearten you, but this is what Vyasa Maharishi says while talking about the distracted mind or an occasionally steady mind. We might get a glimpse of stillness, but the moment we get it, immediately the mind gets distracted. That cannot be equated with the state of yoga. But however, when the kleshas are all removed, when the impurities are removed, when the karma has loosened a bit, and when the perfect cognition happens, then there is a certain steadiness, and then there is a certain focus, then it is called sampragyata samadhi. 
எக்ஸாம்பிள் there is a tree over there far away right and i think it is a lamp post that could be because of many things one it could be because my eyes are faulty second it could be because i i i don't know what is a tree and what is a lamp post probably i know a lamp post i saw a tree and i thought it's a lamp post i don't have the knowledge about a tree and lamp post that because of that also i could have perceived it wrongly the third my mind could be disturbed psychologically disturbed because of some incident that happened that i don't have the right perception and i think that the mind i mean the tree is the lamp post so it means that there is some impurity that is preventing me from cognizing the tree as it is so that perfect cognition is not happening perfect perception is not happening but when the perfect cognition happens when there is that ekagra when there is that one pointedness then the mind also becomes steady it becomes very concentrated and that is the state of sampragnata samadhi don't worry about the understanding now it was all explained at a later state just that the translation or the vyasa bhashya has all these that is why i am introducing this here but when all these modifications of cognition steadiness mind and all that dissolve and when all the modification halt it is called asampragnata samadhi where there is no pragna and there is no cognition or there is no thought process or nothing happening over there that is called asam even that i is not there because that perception of i itself is not there that is called asampragnata samadhi that is what is talk spoken about while discussing the first verse atha yoga anushasanam and anushasan refers to the continuing teaching process because through the various masters this teaching is being taken forward so in the yoga sutra in the samadhi pada different stages and states of samadhi are defined we'll go through them theoretically and we'll also design some practices of course samadhi is a different state but at least the quietness and stillness of the mind can be experienced in these you know practical sessions This is the most famous sutra. Yoga shchitta vritti nirodha. Yoga shchitta vritti nirodha. Yoga shchitta vritti nirodha. So chitta yoga is of course we've looked at it. chitta is the mind field okay whatever is there in the mind so when there are instruments called the antakarana and bahyakarana bahyakarana are the outer instruments which with, with which we interact with the world 
the antakarna are the inner instruments which again help to process a lot of things so those include the manas chitta buddhi and ahamkara manas is of course the mind which is always in a state of dynamism and indeterminate that way the buddhi is more directed and determinate and the ahamkara is that which gives you the sense of doing i did this which gives you a sense of ownership and involvement and the chitta is actually the mind field or memory that way where everything is recorded all the samskaras are recorded in the mind field whatever we encounter whatever we say whatever we engage with all those form impressions and they are all recorded in the mind field called chitta and it is invoked uh, invoked in the chitta so the chitta what happens there are thoughts that raise and fall sarga stiti and laya so the vrittis raise in the chitta and then they fall and dissolve in the chitta that is what happens so the chitta is the mind field vrittis are those ripples that raise and fall which are the modifications and the nirodha is the restraint or the control or regulation that happens so when the mind field when the modifications of the mind field are restrained controlled and regulated that is called the state of yoga yoga chitta vritti nirodha all the mental processes like mental chatter comes to a halt comes to a certain stillness comes to a certain regulation such that we are able to be calm and relaxed without that agitation without those ripples it's like a still and clear lake when we throw a stone into the lake there is a ripple that is formed those ripples are the modifications the waves actually raise and fall rise and fall right waves rise and fall in the lake or suppose that there is an ocean you see the waves they rise and fall so the vrittis rise and fall in the chitta but there is also a state of the ocean which is completely still so that is the state of yoga when we look at the bhagavad gita there are also other clues about what yoga is it talks about samatvam yoga uchyate and it also talks about uh, there is another definition of yoga which okay i'll i'll recollect that samatvam yoga uchyate so that samabhava is called yoga karmasu kaushalam yes yoga karmasu kaushalam so effective action is yoga excellence in action is yoga whatever we take up when we focus on that excellence achieve it to perfection not getting first rank or second rank or not that kind of excellence by excellence we mean that there is i have the confidence that i am i've done it well so that is called yoga because there is a certain effortlessness so for example you pick up a new thing uh, you you pick up tennis or you pick up cricket or you pick up a, playing a guitar there's so much effort that you put initially in order to master that there's so much effort that goes into practicing that but once you perfect it gets integrated within you there is no effort that is there in order to do that particular task say for example you are trying uh, you know you are just learning public speaking 
So it, it means that you're putting all the words together, looking at the people, looking at the stage and speaking confidently is such a huge task. But the more and more you engage in public speaking, you get so comfortable that you just give a, somebody gives you a mic, the speech automatically flows through you. It's an effortless process. That is the state of yoga because there is no effort that goes into it. In the sense, not that kind of a prayatna or yatna that goes into it. And uh, samatvam yoga uchyate is the state of samabhava where there is no agitation. The mind is relatively calm. The emotions are calm. That is also the state of yoga. So yoga is the regulation of the activities of the mind. So the Vyasa Bhashya talks about the mind as having three states. The Sattvic mind, the Rajasic mind and the Tamasic mind. The Sattvic mind is the pure mind. But when it is impacted by Rajas, then what happens? The mind starts loving power. It wants consolidation. It starts getting agitated. It becomes very, what you can say, volatile and power hungry. A certain ego enters there. A certain ahamkara enters there. When the mind, when the pure mind is impacted or blended with rajas. When the mind is blended or impacted by tamas, it becomes quite disturbed, it becomes quite dark that way, it becomes what you can say ignorant of many things. But through the process of yoga, through our effort, when the rajas and tamas is removed, the mind returns to its original pure form. And that is the state of uh, chitta vritti nirodaha, where the mind returns to its purest form without the impact of rajas or tamas on it. That is what the Vyasa Bhashya talks about while explaining this particular uh, verse. Chitta Vritti Nirodaha. The chitta or the mind field remains in its purest form without those ripples or modifications, without the mixing of the rajas and tamas, which causes impurities in the mind field. So it becomes or it returns to its original purest form. So that way, the mind as such is pure, the chitta as such is pure. But because of our various interactions, because of the various impressions that are created, because of the vasanas, because of the kleshas, because of the various gunas that are associated in terms of rajas and tamas, that chitta becomes impure. When, when it is cleaned up, when the kleshas are all removed, when the impurities are removed, when the vrittis or modifications stop, then the chitta returns back to its original pure form. That is called the state of yoga. That's the second verse, yoga's chitta vritti nirutaha. So let us chant the two verses together. Atha yoga nushasanam Atha yoga nushasanam Atha yoga nushasanam. Atha yoga nushasanam. Atha yoga nushasanam.
So when we say chitta, as I told you, it is that mind field where everything is recorded. Right? What we see, whatever happens through the senses, we see something, we hear a noise, we taste something, something touches our skin and all that. So whatever we process through the senses, it goes and gets embedded in the chitta, in the form of impressions. It could be images, it could be sounds, it could be whatever, words, whatever it is. It gets imprinted. In a way, this is the mind field where everything is recorded. All the thoughts, all the impressions, everything is present in the mind field. That is called chitta. And that is where all everything rises and falls. As I told you, all the vrittis rise and fall in the chitta. Right? When those impurities are removed, it's in its purest uh, state. Pure form of cognition happens without those impurities. Perfect recording happens over there. For example, suppose I am in a very agitated state. The way I record a particular event will be very different. Suppose I'm in a calm state of mind, the way I record it in my memory will be very, very different. There are a lot of studies that have shown. There was one uh, person who was a victim of an abuse. And she was actually called to identify a particular person. And she clearly told that this is the person who abused me. And that person was sent to jail. And the person denied it. He said, I am not the person. But then he was, she told, this is the person and he was jailed. After many years and when it came for retrial, that is when she realized that actually that is not the person. He has been wrongly, you know, uh, what you can say, convicted of that particular crime. Because in that pressure situation, her memory was, you know, what you can say, her emotions were clouded. And what got recorded in her memory was incorrect because of the pressure of that particular situation. Suppose it is a clear mind, if it's suppose my mind is very clear and I'm looking at something, I perfectly record whatever is there, right? Now this particular recording is happening. If the internet is perfect, if my camera is good, then the clarity of what is recorded is perfect. It is recording as close to reality as possible. Suppose there is a dirt in the camera and my internet is also very poor, then it does not record reality as it is actually. Maybe the words become garbled or, uh, you know, you don't, uh, my picture is not clear or something happens. So it means that once these faulty things are removed, the perfect things or the perfect reality is getting recorded. That is the pure chitta. When rajas, tamas and all these confusions get mixed up, that is impure chitta. That those have to be removed for chitta to go back to its original pure state. That is what is highlighted in this particular verse. The third verse speaks about tadadrashtu swarupe vasthanam. We will chant it in the next class. Let us not worry about the chanting now. 
tadadrashtuswarupevasthanam. It means that when in the state of yoga, then the witness or the yogi is established in one's own nature, is lying or resting or established in one's own nature while in the state of yoga. When the chitta virti nirodaha happens, then the seer or the witness or the yogi is in one's own nature, is established in one's own nature. The drashta is in his own nature. Drashta is a witness because so many things are happening in the mind field, right? Or so many things are happening in the external world, internal world and all that. The yogi just remains a witness to everything. And sometimes even that I gets dissolved. There is no identity itself. In deeper states of samadhi. When the chitta is focused outwards, this is what the Vyasa Bhashya talks about. When the chitta is focused outwards, it is not centered in its own nature because it is distracted. It is flowing along with the senses. The senses are looking at something, hearing something, tasting something. The mind is also, the mind field is also recording whatever is happening in the through the senses. So it is focused outwards. But when it is focused inwards, when it is in its own pure state, then it is very similar to the state of Kaivalya or liberation. This will be explained later, but for now, let us just take what is mentioned in the Vyasa Bhashya. It can, give, it can get quite complicated. I do understand. That is why very few people take to the deeper study of the Yoga Sutra because one has to have a very uh, deep understanding of the subtle psychological processes as well. So for that, a good amount of manana, a good amount of dhyana, those all help us in decoding our own mind. When we close our mind and sit, so many numerous, I mean, so many thoughts are just flowing in our mind, right? Then we start observing what is happening within ourselves. Then we start classifying, okay, these are positive thoughts, these are negative thoughts. Then we also are able to observe when do these thoughts actually occur. You can catch the thoughts as they occur. Are we aware of the gap between the two thoughts? Are we aware when the, when the mind is still, when it is getting distracted? Are we become, can we become aware when the, the moment the mind gets, uh, you know, distracted, right? So many of these things, processes can be observed. Yes, Tina Ji. Uh, yes, I had a quick question. Um, I don't want to go off too much, but uh, the idea of nature, one's own nature, is that really talking about sort of our bigger, more universal nature, or is it talking about our, our own makeup sort of thing? What is, what is the meaning of that nature? The nature, it, uh, here what this nature means is that pure chitta, fundamental nature, not our personality. Because when we say personality, it means it is filled with many uh, such impressions. This is a nature which is the purest form, which is free from those uh, impressions, that, that nature. Not the universal nature, but it is still the individual nature, but in its purest form. The yogic form, which is free from the kleshas, which is free from the vrittis. When we say a clear mind, it is established in its own nature. That is what uh, it means. Is it sort of uh, clear, uh, Neenaji? 
Yes, I put my thumbs up. Thank you. Yeah, okay. Then it is similar to the state of Kaivalya, where the Purusha is isolated from the Prakriti because it has attained a certain fulfilled state. There is no, uh, you know, what you can say, inclination to do anything more because it has attained a certain fulfilled state. And the Chitta is very, what you can say, calm, steady, relaxed, without those ripples. <coughs> and that is the nature of a yogi or that is the nature of a drashta, who is a witness to the whole thing without them actually getting agitated about it. Right? So let us stop here for today and let us take a quick moment to reflect on these verses. Can you please explain the nature part again? I didn't understand that. Like one's own nature. Yeah, like yeah. Hmm, let me just see. Yeah. Okay. Oh, Let's take I, a crystal. This, can I add example. something? Can I add something? Sorry, yeah, please, please. See, nature, uh, like um, don't consider or don't get confused with the nature word of English. Okay. The nature here is one's own um, vritti, which we say. Uh, uh, state of mind. State yes, of mind. Yes. For the better word, lack of the better word, let's go with that state of mind or one's um, pravirti. In Sanskrit, there's, there are two words, uh, vritti and pravirti. Okay, with praupsarga. So, uh, vritti is inherent and uh, pravritti is a bit of acquired and inherent both. As per my understanding, uh, please continue, ma'am. Yes. Uh, yes, sir. Gee, that's a good uh, way to put it. Like, you know, the nature word is confusing because one, it could be that environmental nature or the universal uh, thing as like, you know, Neenaji was uh, uh, checking. Uh, what I could uh, say is that, okay, let me take an uh, often quoted example from Vedanta to uh, explain this. A crystal, if you take a crystal, it's very pure, right? The state of the crystal is very pure. It's like shining. It's very pure, uh, transparent or whatever it is. But the moment you wrap it in a blue cloth, the crystal appears to be blue in color. Okay, that is how the kleshas are. The kleshas are like the blue cloth, which make the crystal appear blue in color. So it means that the crystal is not in its own nature of purity when, the, when it is wrapped in a blue cloth. The moment you remove the blue cloth, the crystal goes back to its original nature, which is that shining pure form. Right. So that is the original state or original nature of that crystal. But when it is covered with something or suppose a hibiscus, this is also an example that is used. When a hibiscus flower or a red flower is placed near it, then the crystal also becomes red in color. The moment you remove the red flower, the crystal comes back to its original nature, which is of that of that pure uh, you know, glass or shining or transparent or whatever it is. Similarly, when the kleshas are removed, the mind comes back to its pure form like the crystal. Is this, uh, is this, does yeah. this sound? That helps. Uh, that, that reminds me of a shloka which I read in my ninth, tenth class. It was like, Kacha Kanchan Sansarga Prapte Marakati Jiti 
यथा सत्सा निधान मूर्खो यति प्रवीण the crystal example which you gave yes. so that reminded me of this shloka thank you wonderful two people have raised your hand please uh, do ask the question neena ji so i think i'm now back in my state of confusion yes. um i i'm still trying to understand that purest form of my nature is it i think you did say that it's still specific to me but not the purest form as it can exist in a larger more broader sense is is that what we are saying here um in a way it is like it's the yogic one can say in it is still individual but it still it represents that pure yogic uh, state one can say that okay so with, with some my limitations uh that it's it, what, what is it that it makes not, it no, specific not to me limitations not with limitations it's without limitations i see yeah so is it something like uh, when a ch child is born and uh, no uh when uh, he's in early uh, like a two year or three year old Uh, his mind will be in a purest form. Is it uh, something you know towards that way? One can say that because it is free from those impressions, it has still not formed those impressions. So that that way, it is in a pure uh, state. Yeah. Uh, okay. So let me just push that a little bit to ask. So how would my purest nature differ from somebody else's purest nature in our classroom, for instance? <clears throat> Uh, yeah how... so that purest yeah so that would be in a, i mean i'm not talking about the global consciousness as such but your purest nature will not be different from another person's purest nature in this particular uh, context but just that you you are an individual the other person is still an individual right the individual atman is still there but it, it is free from any impressions or samskaras but still it is you that identity is still there it it is okay. still not you know what you can say it is still not uh, uh, gone from that identity of you but the other impurities in terms of you know rajas or tamas or whatever it is uh, uh, raga dvesha abhinivesha smita all those are not present that okay that so one way to understand maybe it will be easy to understand if we look at it in the context of the next sutra which says that वृत्ति सारूप्यम इतरत्र एट अदर टाइम्स वी आर नोन बाय आर वृत्तीज एंड व्हेन वी आर इन योगिक फॉर्म देन वी आर इन द आर प्योरेस्ट फॉर्म व्हिच इज क्वाइट सिमिलर टू द स्टेज ऑफ समाधि एंड वी आर रियलाइजिंग व्हाट वी आर एक्चुअली वी आर नॉट आर बिहेवियर वी आर नॉट आर वृत्तीज बट व्हाट वी एक्चुअली आर दैट रियलाइजेशन कम्स इन दैट्स इफ वी consider both these oh. sutras together then it's easier to understand oh. i agree yes mama oh. uh, how can we uh, like uh, um, uh, nullify these samskaras suppose uh, sometimes uh, we are unaware we are not knowing what we are talking and we create something uh, some impression we create so if we have to erase those impression what can that it be done is the whole process of yoga and sadhana which we would be looking at in the further verses the means to achieve the pure 
states that will be highlighted in the verses to come. That is that is the path, in fact. In terms so, of Ashtanga Yoga, Kriya Yoga, all those are available as solutions in order to remove these negative samskaras or the kleshas that are mindless. And you spoke about uh, Parikshit uh, Rishi's example. Actually, you couldn't understand that much. But what uh, you uh, were trying to say is once some energy is let out, uh, it starts uh, manifesting and creating. So is there any workaround for that? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That is, I am talking in the context of the Rishis who have done tapasya. Okay. <laughs> and when they curse, then it comes because of their work, Siddhi. Okay. So yeah. If we like, uh, so, sometimes we are unaware. Yeah, we don't know what we are talking. So uh, that kind of uh, thing keeps happening. So, yes. Yeah. So the vak shuddhi can be achieved through the process of japa. That is what our shastras talk about. When we engage in japa, it could be mantra. When we have, a, suppose we are initiated in a particular mantra. When we do continuous japa of it, eventually our the uh, speech also becomes purified. Okay, ma'am. Thank you. Shristi, Shristi has a question. Yeah. Namaste, Matushri. Ah, namaste. Um, How are you? I'm good. <laughs> um, just uh, one question was that uh, this inner nature, right, that we're talking about. So is there any definition or like later on, how what does that look like, etc. Like in, in the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna, Bhagavan Krishna defines what does Sita Prajna looks like, right? What does, how does he talk? How does he walk, etc., etc. So I say in this, I think like we're saying that it's the purest form, but what does that purest form look like? Is it, you know, calmness, peace, like as a, are there definitions in the future, um, you know, uh, sutras or? There is a lot of this because it talks about, if you look at the verse, mm-hmm. uh, it talks about, Yoga's chitta vritti nirodaha. Yoga is the state of chitta vritti nirodaha. Yeah. And yoga is defined as the state of samadhi. And when mm-hmm. one is in the state of samadhi, one is in his own purest form. So it means that in, in it is the state of samadhi. So different mm-hmm. kinds of samadhi are actually described in the yoga sutta. In the first pada itself, different states of samadhi and clarifications on what is each state mm-hmm. is actually defined. Right, on what so it looks like. We'll get more sure. Uh, knowledge. Sure. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Thank you. Karthik uh, has a question. Yeah, uh, teacher. Uh, this is um, uh, basically um, uh, when I do yoga or some kind of thing, um, meditation or something. Uh, what I see is this: this what you talked about in the second thing, distraction, right? Um, the imp- in other words, the chitta, the variations. Um, of the mind, modification of the mind. So, in in our in our life, what uh, in our mind, what what is a trigger point that triggers these modifications? Initially, our mind will be in still. Maybe I'm not talking about this life or a previous life or whatever it is. The 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 nature of the mind is is always stillness. But the stillness got triggered, rippled with lots of modifications. Uh, with lots of thoughts or many, many layers of the disturbances or distractions happens in our day-to-day life. But uh, what is a trigger point that dis- triggers this to, from stillness to this modification? So in the further sutras, if you look at the sadhana pada and all that, those uh, sutras, they also talk about uh, 
you know, samskaras, karma and uh, smriti, where there are various trigger points for various attitudes and thought processes to get to kick started. And uh, there are also a lot of uh, what you can say, antarayaha, uh, where there are a lot of obstacles and accompanying obstacles uh, to this process of uh, stillness. So those different uh, dimensions will be discussed in the future uh, sutras. And uh, the ways to quieten them will, is also discussed. He gives about nine aspects or nine ways of bringing the mind to its stillness. To the nature or to the original nature. Okay. Ganesh ji has a question. Namaste. Uh, sorry, Ganesh ji, your voice is not audible. I think your network is not working. Smriti ji, what, what is Rajas Tamas? Yes, uh, probably I'll take it up in the next uh, session. The Rajas Tamas and Sattva, the Sattva uh, Rajas and Tamas, the Gunas. Yeah. Regarding the uh, Sorry, Ganesh ji, it's not audible. So I think his network is not true. Fine. Uh, Arun has a question. Namaste. Uh, what is the difference between uh, the Sattvic Guna, which is the state of the mind? Uh, versus uh, when you say like you're returning to its pure original form. Uh, sometimes the word sattvic is used to also describe like, you know, the pure state. So uh, how would you uh, distinguish between these two? In this, in this particular explanation of the verse, the sattva state and the pure state are sort of used interchangeably. So it says that sattvic is the pure mind, but when blended with rajas and tamas, it gets disturbed or it gets uh, you know agitated or it becomes a little power hungry and uh, these are the uh, sort of uh, examples that are given so when the rajas and tamas are removed that comes back to the sattvic state which is the original state so that that is how it is sort of explained in the vyasa bhashya um can you explain vritti a little bit like Yes. So, vritti are the various processes that go on in the mind field or the chitta, the various modifications, whether it is the, actually the Yoga Sutra uh, lists down five vrittis Pramana, Viparyaya, Vikalpa, Nidra, and Smriti. So, Pramana is in terms of, you know, whatever knowledge that we acquire. So, the knowledge processes, imagination, sleep, memory, all these are defined as vrittis. Because all these create some form of ripple and modification in the mind field. When we learn something, suppose we are looking at something and we process it, immediately there are ripples that are formed. When we imagine something, again ripples are formed. So like that, the mental processes are classified into five. We will see it in the further sutras. The way the sutras are written is, each terminology that occurs newly, it is, you know, elaborated and classified and categorized in the further sutras. So, so that way it becomes a very, uh, in, you know, uh, effective uh, pedagogical model. Uh, 
Smriti ji, just one question. At this point, when we are talking about the purity of the chitta, are we the or its true nature in that sense? Are we looking at uh, uh, that individuality in the sense that uh, the pure consciousness within, or the consciousness uh, identified with the matter? No, this is the chitta. pure consciousness within. Still, that individual is still there. Yeah. Okay. The individual consciousness is still there, but hmm. that in its purest form. That kaivalya is yet to happen, kind of. Huh. Okay. So, uh, I'm uh, like I understood what you meant by Vritti, but um, so here are they trying to say that? these vrittis need to be restrained to reach uh, the kevalya state like like our thought like our acquiring of knowledge and memory like i'm not able to make that connection exactly what are they trying to say with this so we what we'll do is when when we look at the vrittis the definition yeah. of the various vrittis then it will get clarified okay Yeah, okay. as I told you, the Vyasa Bhashya abruptly starts describing various uh, states. Right. But since the the methodology that we are going to use in these sessions is also to use the Bhashya, so I have uh -huh. taken this approach. Otherwise, normally it it would just be our own explanation of what a vritti is. But these sessions will take the uh, support of the Bhashyas, the, and they have taken a slightly different. You know, subtle. You know, abrupt way of uh, bringing out things uh, for a modern uh, mind. It looks abrupt. Okay. So sure, thank you. Okay. Can I ask a question? Sure. Yeah. My uh, question is, you know, when we look at the Bhagavad Gita, um, you know, Krishna says that for uh, you have to go beyond even sattva rajas tamas, right? You have to go even beyond sat the sattvic state. So how do we over here? We are saying that the sattvic state is a pure state. Um, yes. So is that the ultimate, or do we have to go beyond that? So there are different kinds of samadhis that are defined. But when we say sampragnyata samadhi, still that individual uh, thing is there, where vichara, vitarka, everything goes on. But in the asampragnyata samadhi, those are all transcendent, and there is no modification. There is no I. There is no sattva rajas. It becomes a gunatita that way. So that is a different state of samadhi. Samadhi itself, there are different things that are described. Thank you. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. We'll we'll close with an invocation. Om Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu Loka Samasta Sukino Bhavantu. लोका समस्ता सुखिनो ओम शांति 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 ओम श्री गुरुभ्यो नमः हरि ओम